You don't like I don't maple like syrup? Mm. Oh, Jesus. I, I can't stand it. it I don't know what really to gross. say to you. I don't think it's very nice. Did someone drop you on your head or something? Like, no, seriously. I, don't think, I think I'm... It's amazing. It's the best thing ever. I don't know. I just, you're such a crappy Canadian. I am the worst Canadian there is. But you're not good at being British either, so no, like, what's the I'm deal? I'm a man without a country. and this is the end of all things. I'm coming to you today from my writing away weekend in Penrith. So that's kind of why the recording isn't quite as good as it usually is. I forgot a cable for my proper recorder. You don't need to know that. Today I talked to two people. Kate Feld and I do our annual Manchester Literature Festival talk. So if you're interested in what's going on with MLF, I almost said MILF, from the, with the Manchester Literature Festival, we go through virtually everything that's on. So I'm sure there'll be something there that you will like. Um, or maybe just like Kate. And uh, she's been on the podcast a few times. And if you do like Kate, I have some good news for you. She will be coming on the podcast a lot more often in these intro-y bits, in case you're kind of getting sick of this clown just yammering at you. Um, there will be still be some of that uh, doing it on my own, but it, it'll be broken up by Kate joining me a little bit more often. If you don't like Kate, too bad. After we talk about the festival, I speak to Helen McClory about her novel, Flesh of the Peach. It's a novel done put out by Freight Books. I've had a number of Freight authors on. Um, and she it was on her whistle stop from, I'm not sure where she was going. She's going to some important literature event. But uh, yeah, so the, it's only 20 minutes, the interview with her, because she basically got off the train. We met on Canal Street, had a chat, and then she whisked off somewhere else. So if you want to listen to that, it's about 50 minutes in, five zero. Kate and I talked for about almost an hour, and then you have the 20-minute interview with Helen at the end. So listen to as much or as little as you like, eh? That's the beauty of a podcast. If you've not got any your tickets to any Manchester Literature Festival events yet, you need to get them quickly because most of them are going. And I'm not just saying that. She actually gave me numbers. I'm not sure if we recorded how many are left, but there aren't many. But um, I'm going to be talking to John McGregor and Megan Hunter on this podcast, who are both at the festival. And also, Joanna Cavena is an upcoming podcast, and she does an event with Kate Feld again at The Real Story. So if you like any of those authors, those are coming up. The next one is with Adele Stripe as we talk about her fictional account of a real person, Andrea Dunbar, who is the woman who wrote Rita Sue and Bob too. I guess that's probably what she's most famous for. Um, that, that book just got picked up. It was put out by Wrecking Ball Press and just got picked up by a major publisher. So we talk about that. And then the one... After that, we'll be with Jen Ashworth and Richard V. Hurst. The V stands for Viv, I found out. It's uh, probably the best interview yet. And I'm not just, well, I am just saying that. Of course, I'm going to say that. It's my podcast. Jen's been on the podcast a couple times, I think, and she's always great. And this one, she is better than ever. So, yeah, I'm going to stop talking now. Why don't you listen to the Manchester Literature Festival, then Helen McClory. Enjoy. 
I, I do like football a little bit. I'm getting more and what I say get. I'm getting. I'm, you know what? I'm over that. I'm over football as well. I'm try. I tried really hard when I got here to be, to like British stuff. But it's really tiring. You know. It's, and it's really most of the British stuff is seriously boring. Yeah, cricket's really boring. Cricket, I can't stand. I, you know, what? I really tried with that. I, I went to Old Trafford a number of times. And it was. I mean, it's fine. It's Rugby's fine. really good though. Ugh. Rugby's exciting. Do you know what? But they, but because it's British, they ruin it by it being posh people doing it. So I hate it. I don't care how good the sport well, is. Rugby league isn't posh. No. I no, mean that's, that's true. yeah. Rugby league can be pretty exciting. That's one. Like I I reckon if you're an ice hockey fan, yeah, that's what you want to get into is rugby league. Well, it makes more sense. Like the the seven tackle rule. So it's not all that stupid scrum business. Yeah, I mean... Why? Rules... You like rugby? Well, this is new. I enjoy watching rugby. It's true. I don't really understand how it works, but I find it exciting. That's the thing. I don't get the... I don't I don't know what the penalties are. They just blow the whistle and they just go... They say something. They say words. And that stopped play some for some reason. At least in American football, they do their little hand gesture. Oh, don't talk to me about American football. <laughs> like, seriously? I can't even believe people are still letting their children play that. Like, or because of concussions and yeah. stuff. Yeah. It's stupid. No, rugby is an exciting game, and at least something is going on, unlike football, which is like British football, soccer, where they just, every once in a while, someone kicks a ball to someone else. Like, oh my God. Have you ever seen The Simpsons when they did the football thing? Anyway, I'm not going to get into that, but have you you seen it live? Uh, Football? Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole different kettle of fish. I thought it sucked. I went what, to see, what did you see? Okay, I saw Blackburn Rovers versus Spurs in like 2004. And I was seriously in the top row okay. of this gigantic stadium. I think it was, was it Ewood Park or something? Is that Blackburn in Blackburn? Were, yeah, yeah, in Blackburn. Oh, wow. That's a really weird... I have nothing to say about that. I know nothing about either team. It's There's nothing interesting to say about it because yeah. there was nothing interesting about it. There's some guy that I knew on Twitter... Who was the, he was a Canadian guy, and he was some random Blackburn Rover supporter. And he'd take a flag that said the Marple Leaf on it, because he's from Marple. Oh, I know that guy. He had a blog. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he used to have a really good blog. Yeah. yeah. He was, uh, he takes a flag, like a big, massive banner, that says the Marple Leaf on it to Blackburn matches, because he lives in Marple, and he's Canadian. Wow, imagine having your own Why? flag. Why? Like your own Glasgow flag that you take everywhere. Everywhere you go. Just proclaiming your presence. You know, I'm I, here. Because I said to I asked him on... I don't even know how I know this guy. I don't really know him. I, I talked to him on Twitter and I asked him, why do you take this flag? And he, what happens when people talk to you? And he goes, uh, I just tell him it's a pub. They mark belief is some pub. And you're like... But what? I know, I don't... It doesn't... You cannot make sense of football supporters, even ones that aren't British. Yeah. I find that, I'm like, I find the whole crazy football supporters thing way more interesting than the actual watching football match. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah. I quite like um, the smaller shitty teams. I like FC United. Uh, Everyone likes FC United. Yeah. Come on. You've got to go see Ramsbottom United, my team. You can lean right on the fence that goes, like, you can be this close to the players. I'd rather see Trafford FC. Oh, really? Is that your team? Well, it's not my team. I don't give a shit about them. But it's a block away from where I live. And it's the same deal. Yeah. And there's a pub there. 
Yeah, see, like that's... But I only go when they play FC United. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is, why, why are we talking about football? I don't know, because you're a football hipster. I guess so. Right, I'm looking through your magazine so, thing here. So, just okay, to give so... you guys a visual, Rob is rifling through the Manchester Literature Festival brochure right now yeah. in the offices of Manchester Literature Festival. Yeah. See? I'm Kate Feld. I work for Manchester Literature. Do I have to do everything myself? Yes, please. All right. I'm Kate Feld. I work for Manchester Literature Festival. We're on Rob Cutforth's podcast called The End of All Things. That's very good. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we're here because we want to tell you all about the 2017 Manchester Literature Festival. Yeah, man. We did it last year and it was like really popular for some strange reason. Well, you, I guess. I think everyone just likes tuning in to hear me bollock yeah. you yeah. repeatedly. And you're on, on your birthday as well, so I can't even say anything back because it's That's your right. Birthday. I'm just going to insult you repeatedly <laughs> and you're just going to have to sit there and take it, Rob. I, I don't know. I kind of like it. <laughs> I don't know what that says. I'm just thinking about your ratings. Uh, I don't have any. Um, okay, I think the best thing to start out by saying is what is the thing, and I know you've got a list of things that you have to plug because you work for this festival. That's what not true. What is the thing? What do you have to, what do you want to see? What do I want to yeah, see? Yeah, I'll go through a lot of this stuff, okay. but I want to know the, what are, what if you had to recommend, favorites? yes, if you had to recommend, I don't, let's say three things, what would you recommend? Okay, um, oh man. The real story. Well, look, the real story has... As <laughs> it of does last sound time, really had, good, to be fair. It's got six tickets left, probably less now. Yeah, I've got so, one. Good, hang on to it. Um, yeah, I'll scalp it. I'll be honest with you, I'm very excited about... We've got some great short story writers coming this year. Okay. I'm a huge fan of the short story. Mm-hmm. I write them, I read them. Uh, we've got Sarah Hall coming. Now, she was just on the Booker panel, um, and she has a new short story collection, um, which is right over there somewhere. Oh, yes, Madame Zero, mm-hmm. which she's just one of the best short story writers in the world today. Okay, um, why is it so good? There's no one who writes stories like her. I'm rubbish at, at short stories. I never read them. Yeah, well, you know, you and a lot of other people I know. <laughs> feel that way. <laughs> and that makes me sad because they're so wonderful. They're I will so wonderful. write her name down. Sarah Hall. Sarah Hall. Why does that ring a bell to me? I For some reason... Well, I, she's I've written said... novels, too. So oh, you may have read why. some of her novels. She wrote... Uh, the most recent one was sort of about rewilding in wolves. Um, I can't think of the name of it. Uh, but she wrote a book called The Carholan Army that did really well. The what set, army? The Carholan Army. Okay. set up in the Lake District. It's sort of a dystopian, oh. post-apocalyptic kind of... Well, post-collapse of society. Tell you, if it was a novel, it'd be amazing. It, it is a novel, oh, which is why you should know. She writes novels, too. So mm. you you should check her out. She's okay. a wonderful writer. Um, yep. What else? Dortha Norris. Where's that one? Oh, look at right there. Dortha Norris. Dortha. D- actually, I'm not sure if it's Dortha, Dortha? or Dortha. Or Dorth. Um, we are thrilled to welcome a virtuoso writer working at the very edge of innovation in fiction. Oh, man. I wrote that. Don't read Did it you? out loud. That's Danish author Dortha, or Dort, Dortha? Nors, her latest novel, Mirror Shoulder Signal, was shortlisted for the 2017 Man Booker International Prize. Oh, I didn't know that. I don't know why I'm excited about that. I, I don't like the Booker Prize. All right, anyway. wait. No, you are. You're, 
you're like everyone else just because something's nominated or shortlisted or you know, know. wins a prize it makes you think it's good I but in this it. case it's true because it really is good she's incredible okay. and i get to host this gig which is uh-huh. probably the single thing i'm most excited about Norris's reinvention of experimental festival. fiction is marvelous no uh, attribution to that quote is that just you doesn't need any it's true <laughs> Along with her arresting novella, Minna needs rehearsal space and a razor-sharp collection of short stories. Karate Chop. That's a good name for a short story collection. That's an excellent name for a short story collection. First Danish... Bloody Danish writers. What is going on? They won't... They're ruling the world. Who else are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about like TV writing. Oh, okay. Sorry. Oh, here we go. Dorothy will be in conversation with MLF's Kate Feld. Yeah. It was supported by the Danish Arts Foundation. Well, Dorothy is wonderful. She... Mm -hmm. No one else writes like her, and she's just, I can't even describe how warm and human and weird her fiction is. I absolutely love it. I uh, want everyone to read it. Okay. So, you know, I'm, I'm dorkishly excited about okay. that one. I want to see John McGregor, obviously. Yes. Well, John McGregor is, uh, this book, I was really surprised. That didn't make the book a shortlist, I know. Actually. I'm really annoyed. Yeah. Um, but... I'm not surprised, though. The Booker never picks books that are any good. Ooh, bold statement. Yeah, I can say that. I, I, I don't work for anybody. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't really know much about a lot of the books on the Booker shortlist, but no. I was a little bit surprised. That's one of the few I have read, mm-hmm. um, so I was a little surprised that it didn't get on because he's mm-hmm. an amazing writer. Yes, he is. And you know who else I really love that I know you don't like? I just finished reading is The North Water by Ian McGuire. And it's not that I don't like it. I just it didn't grip me immediately. Oh my god. Okay. How could it not? Look, I could tell it was Is it because there's no women in it? Um possibly. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Um but I think also I'm really fickle as a reader because mm-hmm. there's so many books I have to read and there's so many books I have to read for my own writing. There's so many books I have to read for this job. Mm-hmm. So if I don't have to read a book um, it really has to grab me by the throat mm-hmm. and not let go. You know, otherwise I'll just be like, oh no, I'll get to that later. So yeah. I haven't gotten rid of it, I don't think. You try it again, I think. Yeah. I was sent that book by their publisher who said, um, why don't you have Ian McGuire on the podcast? And I was like, yes, please. Oh, I heard this story. And, and then, <laughs> yeah. And then I got this. Mm. This was his publicist. And then I emailed him and he was like, nah. I've got other things to do. And then I real then I looked him up and realized, oh, he's a bit famous, so of course he's not gonna come on. Well, this is a very good segue into the next writer I wanna talk about. Okay, fine. Because uh, Camilla Shamsi has just yeah. joined the staff of the University of Manchester Center for New Writing. Really? Where Ian also teaches. Bloody hell they get good They sure do. People. Um and she will be she also was not shortlisted with her new book. For the Booker, which was another huge surprise. Home, yeah. Home fires. Um, but she will be in conversation with Jeanette Winterson on the 7th of October. Oh my God. That's which will be amazing. Two heavyweights, isn't it? Yeah. I where, saw... Go on. Where is it on in here? What page is it on? Uh, let's see. I will never find The 17th it. of October. So, you know, that's kind of... Oh, whatever. I, why have I... Why did I interrupt Look, you? if you want it... No, no. It's, it's okay. But if you... This is how you use the program. So it says all the page numbers with the Oh, events. yes. They have yeah. this thing called the table of contents. I just like to leave Well, them. we like to change it up every year. 
Uh, just to keep people guessing. So that'll be a wonderful event. I saw, um, we've had Camilla and Jeanette in conversation before because yeah. Camilla did the, the sermon last year uh, and Jeanette did the Q&A after, which was really great. Okay. Um, but yeah, that'll be really good. Um, Mike McCormack was also on, there's a real theme here, mm. was long-listed for the booker. Oh, was he? With uh, Solar Bones, which yeah, is... I don't know that one. Well, it's the the interesting thing about it is it's all in one sentence. Oh, I don't like it already. <laughs> I knew you'd say that. Nah, I can't deal with that. Rob, it's beautiful <laughs> writing, okay? There are line breaks. One sentence. There are paragraphs. Do you know breaks. what? I can just about deal with John McGregor writing wi- without paragraphs. That's that's my limit, I think. I don't know. I could really see you liking this book, no. actually. A single sentence? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm going to lend it to you. I want to see what you think of it. Okay. That should be great. We've got him uh, with John Banville, another great Irish writer, on okay. Tuesday, the 10th of October. Mm-hmm. Um, we have some other really big hit, big hitters with the novelists and short story writers. We've got Alan Hollinghurst. Mm-hmm. I on, think I've heard of him. Yep. Wednesday, the 11th of October. Um and we've also got Jennifer Egan, who you must have heard of. No. Visit from the Goon Squad? Yeah. No? No. Nope. Oh, wow. I, you know, I try to pretend I know a lot. Okay. But I really don't. Who is she? Um, well, she's an American writer. Not Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> don't hold it against her, okay? Go on. Uh, but she, in the past, has kind of done more experimental type fiction. And this is her first historical novel, which is Ugh. quite interesting. Oh, that's why I don't know her. Uh, listen, geez, you mm-hmm. are like the literature curmudgeon. I know. Okay, I what do you myself. like, Rob? I don't like historical fiction. Well, I say that I quite liked. I think Hilary Mantel's books, if they were half as long, would be amazing. I read. I read Wolf Hall. I get about two thirds of the way, and I think, yeah, I'm done with this now. Yeah. Okay. okay. See, I, it's a, I'm, I'm a dunce. What can I tell you? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um. Oh. But why, what is the point of historical fiction? It's it's history. Sorry, just go listen to the Reef Lectures, okay? Okay, fine. And let let Hilary Mantel tell you in. in I her, really like Hilary, yeah. Hilary Mantel as a person. I think she's amazing, and I think her, she's an incredible writer. Unbelievably, I mean, who am I to fucking say who's a good writer? But she's inc- like you read it, and the fact that she gets me even remotely interested in historical fiction, yeah, says. It speaks volumes. Sorry, who were we talking about that before? Um, what was her name? We were talking about Jennifer Egan. Jennifer Egan. Okay, so she's a historical fiction yep. person. Well, no, she. this is her first historical fiction. Oh, book. I see. Yep. Uh, Manhattan Beach, which looks really Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah, it's got a good name. We also have lots of great poetry events coming oh, okay. up. Okay. We've got Malika Booker, mm-hmm. who you might have heard of. I She's have. yes, an incredible, incredible poet and an especially amazing performer. Mm. I have never seen her perform, and as soon as people hear we've got her on the program, they're like, "Oh my God, she's incredible! Have you ever seen her?" Mm-hmm. So why? What does she do? Does she do backflips or something? Well, I think she does a lot of theater. And she's, mm-hmm. she's done a lot cool. of performance. Do you know what? I love that because they can be poets can be boring, can't they? they poets just can be deadly like there is nothing worse than a kind of moribund poetry reading good word yeah oh believe me i spent a lot of time in bad poetry readings thinking Mm. about the exact word to this is moribund as fuck this is yep so like that's not something that we want to provide people with here yeah 
Um, we've also that sounds good. We've got Zafar Kunil, who you who I love. You know. I love Zaf. Uh, he refuses to come on this podcast. I've yeah. asked him several times. And he tries to pretend that it's because he's too shy. Not shy, that's the wrong word. He tries to come off like he does. He doesn't like podcasts, but then he goes and does everybody else's. So I'm a bit offended. Yeah, I don't know. I I can't speak to why. Uh, however, Zach he won't got me. Into, he got me into the uh, backstage at the Hay Festival, so I can't say bad things. Oh, that's about. cool. It was weird. Yeah, was it? It was like locked down. He could swan in and out as he liked, but and he just brought us in and the uh, talent. Yeah. And he's amazing. His poetry is fantastic. Well, you'll want to be there on Thursday, the 19th of October, when he is... <laughs> you like You're that? good. You I like, like that? it. Nice. Very nice. Um, we have commissioned him with the Whitworth Gallery uh, to oh, wow. create some new poems in response to the work of artist Rakib Shah. Um, for what? Uh, for Well, they've got a Rakib Shah exhibition okay. at, the, at the Whitworth. I think it's part of Rakib the new... Rakib Shah. Rakib Shah. Okay. Uh, I it's, well, he's... I think he's a British... I'm not really sure what his origin is. He's a British uh, from South Asian kind of yep. uh, family background, but he uh, is one of the artists exhibiting as part of the New North and South, which is this. What, big... like a sculptor or something? Um, no, no, he's a painter. Okay. He's really incredible. Right. Uh, he had a big show at Manchester Art Gallery a few years ago. Okay. It was like his stuff is wild. Mm. It's it's really cool. So I can't wait to see what comes from that. Okay. Because that should be really good. Mm. And um, well, if Zaps involved, it'll be amazing. And we've got Poets of the New Generation. That should be a really fun one. Mm-hmm. On That's kind of our big closing finale of the festival. Youngsters. Um, yeah, well, they're kind. Of, they're not youngsters, but they're kind of like emerging poets. Mm-hmm. Um, who, you know... Oh, is there any old people in there? Um, I, I love old people that are starting their career because that's me. That's me too. <laughs> yeah. It's actually, here's the book. Oh, Isn't it cool? Very shiny. And uh, so we've got... A really good night. We'll have Karen McCarthy Wolf, who is the editor of that series and an mm-hmm. incredible poet. Uh, we'll be reading along with Raymond Antrobus, mm-hmm. who uh, we've just done a great interview oh, with. Oh, it's done by Blood Axe. Um, Natasha Bryan, and Yomi Sode. Mm-hmm. And that should be really a fun night. It's at Gorilla, so that those okay. things are always really yeah, good. Yeah, it's really fun. And they're all like, a lot of them are. Well, I think most of them are real performance poets. Oh, right. So, so yeah, it'll be um, interesting. It, it certainly will. Yeah. Yeah. Performance, it's, performance poetry is, is one of those things where you have to leave your uh, baggage at the door. Any kind of like, um, not baggage, what's the word I'm looking for? Preconceptions. Uh, because you don't know what the fuck you're going to get. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I kind of think that I like poems that work on the page and mm-hmm. on the stage. Mm-hmm. You know, and like if you're a good, it's it. But the problem is that a lot of people don't have both of those skills mm-hmm. and talents. So one person might be an amazing writer, but just not be able to. Oh shit! Sorry, that's very unprofessional of me. No, you're a joke. Um. So anyway. Uh, <laughs> But once in a while, you get these people who can do everything, you know, who can write this incredible poetry and then can bring it to life for you in performance. Yep. And that is why we do this, yeah. you know, because we, we try to find those people. Yeah, man. Those are amazing people. Yeah. Know? Yeah, it's a bit of a shame because the ones that, who are very good on the page, I mean, kind of suffer, don't they? Like, how do you, how do you, I don't know. 
Well, there are different ways of experiencing. Like, have you seen Andrew McMillan on stage? Yeah. Okay, I've never seen him. I've read his poetry and I really like. Oh, that. he's a great reader. Is he? Oh yeah, he's really good. Yeah. He's I should really say that good. he he read on the podcast, but he's. Yeah, no, I saw him do a really interesting event as part of Museums at Night, uh, where he was reading some poems and there was a guy dancing. Okay. At the same time. Oh wow. Yeah, and it was kind of uh, so. I I think they were sort of reacting. Well, he he was reading his poems and a, a guy was doing choreography that was sort of responding to that. When you say responding to that, he was he didn't know what. I think they worked together on it. It But it was the poems from Physical. Oh, Um, wow. So, yeah, it was really cool. Yeah. It was was great. So I'm really looking forward to him reading it, The Real Story, because he'll be reading an essay. You know, Mm -hmm. and he said, I think it's one of the first essays he's ever written, which you would never know because it's freaking amazing, Mm -hmm. of course, you know. Yeah. Of course. Well, he's he's a very, 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 very good writer. Yeah. So that is going to be a really good one. Mm. Yeah. And Kit DeWall is there. Probably one of my favorite podcast interviews. I think. Uh, yeah. I love she's she's her what a woman, huh? A lot, yeah. She it's, the reason she's brilliant is not just because she's a very good writer, which she is, but she's also very passionate about um, working class stories. Yeah, and I guess that's that's what the event is about, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Know your place. It's a. Uh... Writers from working class backgrounds yeah. writing about the working class experience. And we're mm-hmm. doing it with Dead Ink Books. And yeah. I know that you've had Nathan on the podcast. I've literally before. had everybody involved yep. in that on the <laughs> podcast, including yourself. Yep. Which is really annoying that I couldn't get a free ticket. But, you know, whatever. I guess that's fine. Look, look. When you've got, like, <laughs> that's the problem with these events that have a publisher teaming up with a live lit night and a festival. Yeah. Because everyone has, like, a guest list. So... That's the breaks, man. Sorry. The, <laughs> the other thing I've already bought a ticket for is the Manchester Thinker and Drinkers Pub Tour. Oh, you you have, have you? Of course you? I have. That <laughs> stood out for me. You could lead that tour, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, maybe. <laughs> I might I make, make some comments if he's... I'll keep him honest. Is it... Uh, what's his face doing it? Is it... Uh, what's it... Oh, God, what's I don't know what it? it'll say. I can't remember who's reading that one. I, don't, I can't remember if it's Jonathan Schofield or not. Nope, Suzanne Hindle. Oh, Suzanne Hindle. Ooh, I don't know who she is. That'll be fun. Uh, what? There's. Oh, yeah. Megan Hunter. Megan Hunter. She's coming on the podcast. She, I tell you. And it's a post apocalyptic fiction, so I'm going to love that. Have you read that book? Not yet, no. Oh, my God. You have to read it. I know. I chose, I have to read because John McGregor's coming on as well. So I have John McGregor's book and I've got Megan Hunter's book. And I chose John McGregor's first. Well, that was a mistake because, not because it's not good, but The End We Start From is, it's a really short book. It's yeah. almost a novella, really. Yeah. I mean, it's really short and it's written in fragments. Okay. So you can oh. blaze right through it. What do you mean um, fragments? Like I mean, it's not, well, it's not your standard kind of all one joined up narrative. It's You'll see when you read okay. it. Um, and Rob's like, wait, steady mm. on now, steady experimental on. Experimental fiction. It's not experimental really at all. It's um, but it is quite beautiful mm. and very sparse, spare, and kind of very, uh, sort of clear. Yeah, it's leaves. Really, I was gonna say leaves stuff to the imagination, but that's probably not right. Well, it does. Um, it does, and the ending's kind of interesting because uh, I lent it to a friend, and she didn't like the ending so much, and we were mm. talking about it. But you um, did, though. I liked it. I liked mm-hmm. it. It doesn't answer all the questions, and I kind of. I don't like have that. a problem with that. I never yeah. have a problem with that. In fact, I I like it when things aren't tied up in a. Yeah. But I say that, and then when it when it doesn't happen. So that's on Monday, the 9th of October mm-hmm. at six thirty at, at Waterstones, and she's reading with a guy called Omar El Akkad. 
mm-hmm. um, who's reading a book. He's also a debut novelist, and he's reading a book called American War, which is also dystopian. American War? Yeah. That's it's, a shit title. Well, it's set during the second U.S. Civil War in 2074. Oh, right. Okay. Um, and, I mean, I, I love that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it imagines it's, it's a, it's a country where oil is outlawed, Louisiana is half underwater, and wow, imagine yeah. that. Right, right. Yeah, I can't. What a crazy story that is. <laughs> 2074. That sounds like, I think it's probably going to happen before then. Yeah, it's, it's, you know happened, I mean? it's, it's 2017. It's already happened. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, <laughs> That's a little, so funny. little black humor I wonder if he. I wonder if he, he wrote that before Katrina. That would be funny, wouldn't it? That no, he's like, I doubt oh, it. could you imagine Louisiana underwater? I doubt it. No, it has yeah. to, it, that must have triggered, triggered this book. Oh, and we've got... An amazing one, um, in, also in the Rising Stars program, which is the kind of program um, that spotlights sort of people on their way up. Mm-hmm. Um, we, yeah, yeah, the clues in the title. Okay. Rising Stars, <laughs> right? I, I like to make, I like to break it down for yeah. people because I realize it's it's not not simple. Um, but, you think my listeners are morons? Hey, <laughs> I'm not saying that. So we've That's okay. got, I have no listeners. We've got. We've got <laughs> Sally Rooney, Joanna Walsh, and Lisa Mc- McInerney. I can't say McInerney. that. McInerney. McInerney. Yeah, I'm, I'm such a bad... No, Irish it's not. Person. I'm wrong. It's McInerney. McInerney. Um, we've got them coming on the Thursday, the 12th of October. Now, they are all writers from Ireland. Uh, they're mm-hmm. reading at the Center for New Writing, and they've all... I think written... I know Joanna Walsh. Who is... Why do I know that name? Well, Joanna Walsh has written a, a few different books. She's experimental fiction. Oh, God. Yep. Hey. You know? I'm sure it's good. She's very good. Uh, she also runs the Read Women uh, Twitter That's what it account. is. That's yeah. exactly what yeah. I know her from. And she's just posted a thing on The Guardian about the uh, the whole, you know, having age limits on writing competitions and, and, you know. What she's for or against. She's against it. Right. Yeah. So no age limits at all. Well, the Royal Society of Literature just launched a big initiative called 40 Under 40, which is they're mm-hmm. trying to get... Um, younger mm-hmm. members so i can understand why though because there's so many people that think they're writers that are middle-aged well the rsl you have to have published two books oh right okay, so it's, it's you have to have two books under 40 yeah bloody hell oh okay. well you know you know several people who fit the bill yeah but or two significant works still anyway. yeah but, cool, but um, what does significant mean I don't know. I Gosh. guess it's up to you. But, uh, <laughs> I don't like this already. <laughs> yeah. But I think most of their membership is, is quite older. So, mm-hmm. you know. But anyway, she yeah. had an interesting piece in The Guardian. So there's a bit of a debate about whether or not that was a good thing. There is a walking tour from Jonathan Schofield. Yep, there is. I've but that's that. already sold out. All right. Most of the walking he's, tours are sold out. Yeah, so. he's a bit famous. Yep, he does a lot of tours. He does that walking tours. tour business, doesn't he? Yep. Harriet Harman. Yeah. Are we what? even going to talk about that? Um, we can talk about it if you want. What about, I mean, she's, she's a written a memoir. Yeah. Oh, God. She's written a memoir. Is it good? I haven't read it. Uh, she's got a lot of great stuff to talk about, though. Yeah. I mean, she's done a few things, Rob. You know? I know she has, but memoirs. I'm oh. sorry, you know what? I'll, I'll edit this out because... Ugh. What's your problem with memoirs? Wow, they're just boring. Oh, really? Yeah. What's a good one? Uh, the Outrun. Who's that? Amy Liptrot. Oh, yeah. That would be good. Yeah, she's done a memoir already? Yeah. It's it's a memoir about her kind of recovery. We had her on at The Real Story. I know. Yeah. She's I tried a, to get her on the podcast yeah. and she dissed me. 
She didn't diss me. She just didn't. She just said she didn't. She ignored me. Rob, I know you, you just upset. hold a grudge. I know big you hold grudges. A grudge. You know writers are busy people. I know, and she's it's not. It's not only also that they can't necessarily travel to this city to do the podcast. Um, with you. She lives in like. Mithelmroyd or something like somewhere around there. Yeah, she but, lives near Ben. Ben, My- ben Myers came on the podcast and he lives in the same place. But you know, writers also need time to do their writing. <laughs> yeah. You know. I know. I'll, she'll. Uh, you know, whatever. Uh, Renietta Lodge. He was in the she? Good Immigrant. She. Yeah, that's right. Whoops. You can edit that out. <laughs> she was in the. She was in the Good Immigrant. Good Immigrant. Yep, that should be really good. Right. Why I'm no longer talking to white people about race, yeah. which came out of a blog post that she wrote. Right, um, and what had a lot viral. of and uh, yeah, I get a bunch of angry man, white man babies probably. Yep. Yeah, and you can just tell that that's exactly what would have happened. Well, you... I think there were some good discussions too. Was there? Yeah, some interesting discussions. I mean, ironically, she's you know it's kind of a joke because she is. Of course, actually... it is. It's, it's ironic. You can tell yeah. in the title. Like, I mean, it's, it's clearly ironic. Yes. She she's it's meant to be pro- slightly provocative, but it's a great title though. Uh, okay, what? there's another walking tour. We won't talk about that because it's sold out. Well, I'm George see. Surtees. Yes, George Surtees and Carolyn Bird, mm-hmm. uh, both both great poets. So we've got an mm-hmm. extra specially good poets and players this year. We did. Uh, I remember talking to you last year, right after poets and players, mm. when we had Don Patterson. And uh, Rami Smith, which was one of my favorite things at, I think, last year's festival, was it? Or was it the year before? God, Rob, they're all blurring I together. Know. We're old, man. That's what happens. Oh, how many times have I been on this podcast? This is, you, plugging the festival. This is, is the it, second time. It's only the second yeah, time. Yeah, but okay. you were on uh, as yourself. You were on my first, very first one. That was, was that your very first one then? Mm-hmm. So that would have been the year before. Correct. Right, so that was two years ago. We yeah, but we wouldn't have talked to Manchester Literature Festival stuff there, I don't think. I think we talked about you. Me and Abby. Yeah. Yeah, it was out on the patio mm-hmm. outside. Yep. Yep. Oh, lots of water under the bridge since then. Oh, Rob. I know. It's like a whole different world. Uh, okay, so how many shows is Camilla Shamsi doing? Because there's Refugee Tales, and then she's doing her own thing as well. Yep, she's she? doing Refugee Tales, which will be amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's Comic Press. I know you've had Rob. Oh, yeah. Um, Do you know? I didn't even know that. So, well... They're doing two events with us this year. Protest, which mm-hmm. has sold out. That was, one, I think, one of our first events yep. to sell out with Maxine Peake and a whole bunch of people. Of course it people. is with Maxine Peake. But refu- the Refugee Tale pro- Tales project is fascinating. Basically, it takes the experiences of real asylum seekers and detainees and it puts these people together with writers so that the writers can sort of tell their stories. And it's sort of modeled on the Canterbury Tales. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. So... This year, this is the second incarnation of it. And we've got Marina Warner, who's only one of the most brilliant people in the world. Okay. I've seen I've seen read before, and she's insane. Um, Camilla Shamsi and yeah. Carolyn Bergvall, who uh, I'm not as familiar with, but it should be a cracker, that one. Mm. On, that's on Monday, the 16th of October. Are these uh, refugees coming to the UK, or is it all over the place? Um, I'm not really sure. I think primarily the UK. Compelling um, truthful account of what it means to get some in the UK. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, but it's a really cool project. Oh, that will be good. It's a multi-award winning scholar, critic, and author whose books include blah, blah, blah. Okay. Oh, and another really interesting one that I'm hosting is we've got... <laughs> yeah. 
You're very good at self-promotion, I have to say. I am, well, come on now. I'm American. <laughs> it comes naturally to us. Uh, but I am genuinely excited about this, and I think that the reason they asked me to host it is because they know I'm obsessed with the writing and art of Leonora Carrington, who is sort of one of the leading lights of the Surrealist movement. Surrealist fiction? Uh, yeah, Surrealist fiction, art, everything. Okay. The Surrealists, who kind of took over in the... Oh, know, so, she, so this person is dead? Yeah, she's dead. Okay. Um, but she lived until fairly recently. Right. Um, because she was very young when she got involved with all those, she took up with all those Surrealists. Mm, what, like Salvador um, Dali and whatnot? Uh, she was Max primarily Ernst. Max Ernst. She, mm-hmm. Well, she was Max Ernst's sort of girlfriend and muse for a long time. Oh, right, um, really? Yeah, she basically ran away from home as a debutante with Max Ernst. Really? Yeah. And I like, was just guessing that. I didn't even say... Oh, no, it, it's Max, Max Ernst. Ernst. Yeah. Oh, wow. She has an incredible story. So she... Uh, th- th- and this is an incredible story because Joanna Moorhead, who is someone I've... Who's kind of byline I've known for years. She writes on The Guardian Observer. Mm-hmm. Um... She found out sort of by accident at a, at a party that this Leonora Carrington, who was her distant cousin, uh, was Joanna actually Moorhead's this, yeah, distant cousin. Yeah. What? Okay. So she found out she was that this person she'd always thought of as sort of like the weird black sheep of her family who mm-hmm. like ran away from home was, in fact, this hugely famous artist now living in Mexico. So she went to Mexico. <laughs> And kind of just became close with her and ended up writing her life story. How bonkers. Right? Wow. This, that would be good. So I'm really oh, excited Oh, and it's the Burgess. That. That's my favorite place as well. That's Tuesday the 10th of October at 7 p.m. at the Burgess. So mm-hmm. that'll be really cool. What else have you got in here? You've got Will Self, your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I really love him. I don't I like his too. work. I don't like his books. I've tried several times to read his stuff, and it just seems really, um, what is the word I'm looking for? I just saw Cozy Fanny Tootie on, the, on your bookshelf, and that's throwing me. <laughs> uh, not, not self-aggrandizing, but pompous as fuck, and really, okay. like, like the whole, like, you know, stream of consciousness stuff. Mm. I can't, I just cannot deal with that. But I've seen him speak, and... Mm. He's an absolute joy because he he's is. he's a bit nuts, and he he's not afraid to tell you what he thinks. Really, I and I love a curmudgeon, as you know, and he's the king of curmudgeons, really. Yeah. Uh, he's, is he still saying that the novel is dead? Uh, I, as far as I know, <laughs> why don't you come along and ask him? Oh that? no that way! Be good. He's terrifying. I would enjoy watching that. I remember I asked him uh, when I saw him. I because he was I think he was dissing. Uh, MAs in creative writing, and I during his talk, and I asked him afterwards. So I said, "I've just taken one. Do you think it's a good idea just to wind him up?" And he said, uh, "No. Why don't you take something interesting like philosophy instead?" Yeah. Well, I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I that'll He's be a fun show. Very entertaining. He is incredibly entertaining. Yep. Um, oh, another really cool one, um, which people probably won't have heard of because I don't think this book has a huge profile, mm-hmm. but. Uh, it's a woman called Samantha Schweblin, uh, and she is actually from Argentina, but I think is based in Berlin, and she's written her first novel, Fever Dream, mm-hmm. um, which just knocked my socks off. Oh, right. Um, absolutely 
incredible book. It's sort of like a, a narrative that sort of unfolds across three different times at once. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's like a thriller and you don't mm. really know what's going on. Uh, but it's incredibly cool. That's happening at the Instituto Cervantes on Wednesday, 18th, October at 6.30. That okay. should be really cool. Oh, Howard Jacobson. He's your, one of your big names, isn't he? Yep. George Monbiot as well. Howard Jacobson's writing Pussy. He's he's written Pussy about Donald <laughs> Trump. What? What do you snickering I just, about? I just, it's just, I'm just, a, I'm a child. And whenever I hear that word, it makes me laugh. I'm sorry. Well, I think that's what he's counting on. Yeah. He's hoping for that reaction for from everyone because he's written a satirical book. Yeah. So, yeah. About Donald Trump. About Donald pussy. Trump. That'll but, be good. Yeah, it should be interesting. As much as I'm, you know, I like fiction, so I might read it. Well, it is fiction. Oh. It's satirical fiction. Oh, right. Of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, Rob. I know. I'm a dunce. <laughs> um, the Writing Squad, they're doing a thing. They are doing a thing called Six Minute Reads. They've been on the podcast. Uh, you've had Steve Dearden on. Yeah. Oh, and, wonderful. And two of his Writing Squad people. Who? Jazz and Lenny. Oh, Jazz and Lenny. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, Lenny is reading uh, an essay at the next Real Story event mm-hmm. happening on Tuesday, which will <laughs> have already happened. Yeah, I was going to say, it, it, that is going to be a really good event because uh, Joanna Cavana is headlining, and yep. I love her book, Come to the Edge. Um, we'll see. Maybe this podcast will get out like the day before. It and won't. then all of your listeners will storm the gates yeah. at Gulliver's. Like, yeah. We had no idea. Joanna oh Cavana is coming on the podcast, apparently. Yes, she uh, will that be reminds amazing. me. I need to firm that up. Have you read Come to the Edge? No. Nope, oh my god, it it's the funniest thing I've ever read in my life. It's absolutely hilarious. It's about a woman who is her, her, I think her husband cheats on her and she leaves him and then she goes to live with this woman I, I think it was it in the Lake District where she's lives in this on this far, in this farmhouse. I think it's a real per- person as well because she dedicates the book to the real I can't remember the woman's name, wow. but um, it's bonkers, and it's about this. It's she sets up this scheme to get people to live in the rich people's houses in the off season, without telling uh, the people who really? own the houses. It's it's unbelievably funny. It's one I've never ever laugh when I'm reading, and that one I was crying. I it's tell you, really funny. She is one of the most intelligent people mm. writing in this country today. Yeah. Like, Seriously, bring your A game when you were talking about She won't about be. Her. Oh, great. Don't tell me that. Oh, it's going to be like Garth Greenwell, where I didn't have a clue yep. what I'm talking about. No, no, no. She's really easy to talk to. That's I've okay. Done, I get by on charm. I've hey. done an event with her. She's lovely and personable. Mm. I'm not, I don't mean to scare you, <laughs> but just be be prepared. She's oh, very, God. very intelligent. That's. Just... Yeah, I've got an edit button. See, that's the thing, because you're doing live events, if you say something stupid, you know, that goes out forever. Me, I just go, oh, let's get to take that bit out. Yeah, and but I come, come across as a really. But smart no one's dude. recording our live events, so that's, that's okay. True. Right. Okay. So I think we've talked about mostly we've talked everything. About the I mean, but I I would be totally remiss if I didn't point out that if people want to buy tickets for the festival, mm-hmm. uh, they should head to ManchesterLiteratureFestival.co.uk. Yeah, or they could just Google it. They could Google it. Um, they People could don't actually us. type in URLs anymore, do they? Yeah. I mean, they'll find it. They can call key tickets, you know. Um, that's yeah. our ticketing agent. Um, but the festival is happening the 6th through the 22nd of October. Mm-hmm. 
So I don't Get know when it. this is going out, but probably, presumably well, before then, right? Oh, way before that. Yeah. Probably next week. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I got the interview done. By the time you hear yeah. this, if you haven't already booked your festival tickets, you need to get you on. You really it. need to get on that. Yeah. Um, it's okay. going to be a lot of fun. Cool. Thank you very much, Kate Feld. Thank Happy you very birthday. much. Hey, thanks. It's my pleasure. I beg your pardon. I think you're fine. It's Canada. Well, I know you're from Canada, but I was just thinking it's a it's a it's an American company, and I have no yeah. idea what the situation is like there. No, I'm very sensitive to a Canadian issue. Don't worry, it's I, fine. I went to I Canada, tease. and I was yeah. there for five weeks. Was it as part? Out. Okay, so I'm Was that part of the research for this book? No, bizarrely, it was much later. I'd actually already finished it, but it was good for the book. Um, yeah, it kind of. Um, gave me time to and space to test it out on Total Strangers by reading it. Yeah. That was um, 2013. I went to reading. Banff. Okay. Oh, Banff. That's where I'm from. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, Calgary. I'm from Calgary, so mm. it's, that's exactly the part of the world that I'm. Oh, fantastic! It's yeah. a beautiful place. Actually, it was so annoyingly beautiful that at one point, I got sick of looking at beautiful mountains, and I spent the entire day in bed just being like, no. Do you I know can't. what? That's common. Really. Uh, a lot of people get they feel they find it really claustrophobic. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, I can't get enough. I miss it, obviously. Yeah. Um, days like today, I'm, I'm okay with living in Manchester. Mm. But the other 364 days of the year, pretty miserable. Yeah. <laughs> there was so much sunshine there in the winter, I couldn't believe it. I was yep. wandering around and just being like, why yep. is it, why is it sunshine? It I'm gets so more sunny days than California, Alberta. Really? So then Alberta gets more days of sun, like cold sun. Yeah. But, but it gets more sunny days than, North, I think it's, did they say California? Is it Northern California? I can't remember. More than California, anyway. Well, then. Yeah, it's brilliant. Uh, I think it's got enough to put on the brochure, though. Like, yeah. everything else. Come to, um, like, Banff and just do everything and enjoy everything. Yeah. I would go back again in a yeah, heartbeat. Yeah, it is good. Do you, um, when you're doing this book, obviously you, you have a fairly good knowledge of the southwest United States. I would have thought. I'm glad it seems that way. Really? So you didn't even go there? I did go for two weeks, mm -hmm. or like a week and a half. Um, I did the journey that's in the book, the Greyhound bus journey. Okay. And then I, um, with my husband, and then we went up into northern New Mexico and sort of camped around a little bit, mm -hmm. um, and then came back. But that was it. That was did you get there. robbed? I actually <laughs> did. Did you? So yeah. Is it, so the, in the book, that bit... Yeah. Was for real. Yeah, uh, it wasn't. It wasn't like a robbery. It was kind of like a, I'll just keep nagging you until you give me money. And mm -hmm. then I didn't get spat on, luckily. Mm -hmm. But it was very close, and there was a policewoman right there, and she didn't care. And the gun smuggling also happened. Yeah, that was true. You're very close to the Mexican border there, aren't you? Well, not in northern New Mexico. Oh you're, right, you're okay. all right. I mean, it's close enough. Yeah, it's closer than Scotland is. Yeah, to the Mexican border. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you, on that note, why don't you just talk a bit about the book for the listeners. Uh, what is, obviously it follows, um, God, I forgot her name. I just finished reading it. Sarah. Sarah. See, that's not a good thing to do, is it? To get the, the main character while I'm interviewing the author? No, it's fine, because I actually changed her name to make it less memorable. Oh, right. <laughs> on the advice of an agent who looked at it early on, and she said, you can't call this character the name that she was then. Because Why can't you tell me who it was then? I don't know if it will taint perceptions of the book. Or it'll offend the people who have that name, maybe. Well, very few people have that name, I think. 
You want a less, okay, so you want a, why would they want a less memorable name? Because according to the agent, she had, the character had too much obnoxiousness in them, and so you needed a really normal name to balance it out. That was okay. her reasoning. Obnoxious, would I think Sarah is obnoxious? Maybe a little bit. Yeah, I Were mean. You, did you take that as a diss? No, you didn't write it as an obnoxious character. I didn't write her as obnoxious. I, I wrote her as difficult. Mm. And I think maybe just... She said... I, I think she, the, uh, the word whiny was used, which I took exception to a little bit. But wow. people have harsh judgments of other people, so I thought, well, you know, she doesn't like her, that's fine. Mm. She, she is a little bit unlikable. If you had a personality clash with a character that you're yeah. sort of encountering, that does happen. I think your description... I knew you'd ridden a Greyhound bus, mm. because... I've ridden <laughs> hundreds as a child, um, and it's something that you can't, you couldn't get away with these days, but my mum used to put me on the bus when I was nine. Did you have a label? And so, No. That's they what they, they put labels on them. Yeah, well, they used to. They put, yeah. like, stick a label on them so you didn't Which get Which says lost. child. Don't child molest ad me. address. No, and, right. <laughs> you know, like a package. Yeah. <laughs> but I'd be on the bus, I could be on the bus for six hours. Wow. The trains do, the trains do... Whiz past the shitholes, and the buses stop at every single one. And the amazing thing about Greyhound buses is, when you're looking out the window and you see the queue of people, and you think, "Wow, those they look like they're murderers." And then five seconds later, he's sitting beside you. Yeah, and maybe it was a murderer, especially if you're um, near. It stops near prisons. Oh they, that's God. where they they get the money and they go on the Greyhound. That's yeah, their yeah. first mode of transportation after the big house yeah um, my husband heard uh, some people talking about you know we would say it's called like chibbing people just stabbing them in prison and I was luckily I was like dozing at that point but how does your husband know that word uh, that wasn't the word they, they were using I think they were using <laughs> some prison slang that he sort of <laughs> yeah. figured out how do you know what chibbing is Chib I've come from Scotland yeah, I lived right. in Glasgow <laughs> I've been to Glasgow and it's lovely. You didn't get stabbed. No, I didn't, no. Oh, good. See, I think Glasgow's great. It is great, but it does have a little bit of an edge. Yeah, I actually, I was at the, um, uh, I don't know how much of this I'm going to leave in, but I was at the Scotland-Germany mm -hmm. match and I just followed, afterwards, I just thought, well, I'll just follow where the crowd's going. Surely they're going into town. So I just followed this massive group of people and they just kind of thinned out as we were walking and then it was just me. And I, was, and I realized, I, this is not a good area to be in. <laughs> and then I, but I, I mean, th just to show you how prejudiced I am, bus stops, and I'm like, oh, thank God. And I, I look through my pockets, and I can't, I'm not sure I've got enough change for the bus. And a Scottish dude comes out and goes, here you go, mate. He gives me his day pass as he oh. walks off. And I was like, oh, maybe this, you know, prejudging, pre it's yeah. not good. No, it's a friendly place. It really mm. is. But like everyone has a story of some horrible, violent thing. But you know, I think that's true of every big city. Mm. I just quite—I don't know. I was born near Glasgow, so I've got a little bit of pride. I was born in Paisley, mm. which I think is even, even bigger of a pit. Don't, yeah. don't tell anyone. Yeah. Don't worry. No one listens to this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I began asking you to describe your book, and then I cut you off because you said something that I wanted to talk about even more. Why don't you now talk about your book? You must have done this a hundred times. Uh, yeah, now. I don't think I've quite mastered it yet. So okay, go on. Let's see. It's the story of Sarah Brown, who is a kind of failed artist, 
failed immigrant from uh, Cornwall to New York. She's half American, so that mm-hmm. gets by all the visa troubles. Mm-hmm. Um, she is living in New York, uh, just sort of hand to mouth, and she's having a bad relationship with a married woman when her mother dies and a mother that she was estranged from and instead of going home to deal with the funeral like look her grief in the face she decides to sort of skedaddle across uh, America to New Mexico and just divert herself from this bubbling pit of bubbling mass of grief Um, Mm. and that's basically the novel yeah I think that was quite good thanks yeah we, we should play this back when you do it next time. <laughs> the one thing I really liked about your book is the uh, what she would spend her money on bits. And this is the part where this is, I always ask a question like this. And I've never, when I think I've read something in the book that I've discovered something, and I always ask the author about it, and they always go, no. So I'm going to try again. Okay, okay, hit me. But it, it felt to me, when I was reading those bits, at the start, they were quite um, almost surreal uh, and imaginary, but it's when she meets Theo, they kind of become real things. That's that's right. Yes! That's the first time I've asked that question, and it's been yes. Okay, so why did you do that? Um, I think it was actually, at first it was subconscious, mm-hmm. because I was following this character who is very ungrounded, traveling, you know. She's left her home. She doesn't have anything on her. She's just got bags so these sort of bursts of surrealism are much easier and fantasy are much easier until you start laying down roots somewhere and she kind of imagines herself taking a kind of almost protective role of Theo and it does get more about being a real person yeah and protecting protective as well yeah love it yeah um See, I'm, I'm so happy that I got that right. Then I, I forgot my follow-up question. You won the Saltire. Saltire. See, I always get. I knew I was going to get that wrong. Uh, first book award. Yes. Which is what the best book in Scot for best first book in Scotland award. Yeah. That's quite good, isn't it? It was, it was really unexpected, mm. um, especially because the book in question came out with a tiny Texan press, which has since shuttered its doors. What do you mean? It's uh, now the owner got ill. And she was the heart of the press, so they closed it. It's out of print now. Oh, yeah. Texan Press. Yeah, oh, Texan right. Press. Really sad. Oh, man. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah, it does. Um, although the rights are reverting to me, so I might try and do something over here. Because mm. it was never really in the shops. Certainly not in England. In Scotland, it was after I won the award. Yeah. Which was really nice. Yeah. And I, I had the only copies in the country. Yeah. And they had to come and buy them off of me. Really? Yeah. When they found <laughs> out I'd won. Speaking of which... Mm-hmm. You've, this new one's published by Freight. Yes. And Freight's in trouble. Yes, and uh, my previous uh, at stab at getting published was the novel I wrote for my PhD, mm-hmm. and it was taken by a press that then didn't have any funding. <laughs> okay, so well, this are, I had a question about this before, and this, you've already answered it. I was, so I, what are your thoughts on independent publishing? Uh, I think it's passion projects, and I think it's doing stuff that mainstream publishers are too slow to do or too nervous to do because they prefer to have comfortable margins of profits mm-hmm. and so there's a lot of like, daring do and um, I don't know shipwreck going on mm-hmm. in the world of independent publishing from right. what I've seen if a big and I know this is a bit of a mean question but I love doing this sort of thing the big say 
whatever favor came mm-hmm. and said, we'll publish your next one. Versus independent, like, are you like a staunch independent publishing? What's the word I'm looking for? Not hero. I hate that word. Champion. Champion. Um, no, no large publisher has ever asked me, and I have a feeling that if they did ask me, I would have a think about it. Mm. But likely, I would think, you know, it's not going to go under. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. And also, answer. money is good. Money is good. Yeah. There's not a lot of it in this business. No, there's fuck all. <laughs> there it goes. I shouldn't have said anything. No. I think I might leave that in just because it's funny. Um, So, obviously, being independently published, and this is a question I ask everybody that comes on because this podcast is really focused on how the fuck do people make money in this business. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? Like, obviously, the, the books aren't enough to live on. No. So what do you do? I work for, uh, uh, I'll just say the name, Spark Notes. They produce literary guides and they have little quizzes for high school and maybe first year college students in the US. Mm -hmm. Um, So I write guides to novels and I do multiple choice quizzes a lot. And that keeps me in a a reasonable amount of money. And of course, I I share the bills with my husband. Mm -hmm. So I think having a partner who has a steady job is a very clever idea. Yeah. One thing I was going to do, because I do like the what she spent her money on things, bits, is to give, I think it was a, it's a, also a good way to tell the listener, uh, to give them a good idea of your writing without spoiling anything. And I also, I also like watching authors' faces when I read their stuff to them because they fucking hate it. <laughs> so let's, let's do a random one. And I'll I think get my I, hate face on. I think it's safe to do a random one. Um, oh, this is another thing I was going to ask you. Before I do that, you are not uh, afraid of uh, what was I gonna, whether it's taking chances, not taking chances, but breaking rules a bit. Things like this, when you're putting like bus station across the page, or uh, you, you, there's also places where you put in charts and things like that. Yeah, I would love to do that. I, lo- I would have like bits of paper that fell out when you opened the book. I mm. love that in other things, you know, kind of multi-textual feel and things around the page like House of Leaves is the good one mm-hmm. a famous example where it's all over the place that's a bit ambitious for me but I'd love to keep doing that yeah so if you're your next book is probably going to be more charts and uh, graph not graphical things no it, experimental things I haven't yeah it's it's an odd one that I'm working on right now it's a fantasy novel okay um, with uh, a totally different world and the destruction of local gods and things like that. So, Whoa! Yeah, I just went a totally different direction. Okay, I'm gonna save the reading for a minute because I want to hear more about that. Uh, yeah, I've been working on it for a while. It started out as a novella that I wrote in the three weeks before the Scottish independence vote. Okay. So it was very politically charged mm-hmm. and it's about this island where there's a local god that charismatically controls everything but no one on the island knows that she's a, a god. Okay. And it's about this one girl who is born and with the power to 
kill gods, sort of inadvertently. She's almost like a passive murderer. Okay. Um, and the god takes her in and sort of says, well, I'll train you up, become powerful. And then she sends her out to kill all the other gods in the world. Not for any power for herself, just because she can. And also keeps her busy. So wow. Doesn't come back and murder her. That's very different from <laughs> what you've written before. Yeah. Um, I think it's more in keeping with my short fiction. Okay. Which is quite weird mm. and dark. Um, and there's a strong vein of surrealism in mm-hmm. it. And it's sort of lightly in Nora Carrington styles not high fantasy there's mm-hmm. no dragons I hate right. dragons yeah. is that going to offend people if I say I really hate dragons well it probably but that's okay because I hate them too I, I'm, to be honest a lot of fantasy I really struggle with um, as soon as it, and it's not dragons for me it's elves mm. if there's an elf in it or something forget it like I mean fuck Tolkien man. I, I don't <laughs> yeah. understand why people like Lord of the Rings I don't get that it's a good book I mean I pushed on with that and I was a kid when I read it, and I hated it then. Oh, I couldn't read it. I couldn't finish it as a, as a kid. I got halfway through The Two Towers and just and literally threw it across the room and said, "This, I'm never, ever fucking reading Tolkien again. I don't get it. I do not get it. <laughs> I, no, I don't either. Yeah. So why am I writing a fantasy novel? It's very confusing to yeah. me. It just it started expanding out, and it became this thing, which is it's rooted in reality, mm. and it's more about political systems. Okay. Yeah. Is it kind of... This is probably a shot in the dark. But like, like Neil Gaiman-y-ish? I've never read any Neil Gaiman. Okay. Um, but possibly. Yeah, see, I'm not either. I, I've read I read Neverwhere and hated it. But I've read the back of American Gods. And <laughs> so yours has got gods. Got it. and it's Yeah, fantasy. it's got gods in it, so, yeah. so probably. <laughs> Maybe Neil Gaiman could tell me. Yeah. I'll run into him and ask him, yeah. does this seem right? Yeah. I don't think fantasy it, as a as genre itself is terrible, by the way. He, he hastens to add. Yeah, no. It's the whole, like... Um, elves and dwarves and you know like the Dungeons and Dragons crowd and I know I shouldn't say that because quite a lot of them listen to this but um, you know it's it's to each their own yeah to each their own exactly and honestly I I didn't expect to be writing this and I think maybe I'm skirting around the edge of fantasy because the way I approach things is too literary anyway it's too too based on the language someone who wants a fantasy novel a big rip-roaring fantasy novel is going to be like what is this I think that might be okay and I think that's kind of what fantasy needs Mm. really and I think I think especially like any kind of genre e-fiction if you you want to use that term it can be excellent when it's uh, when it's written by a literate like someone who's he's given the, the time and space to you know to, to write about something that actually matters mm. um, that uh, for like science fiction especially um, yeah. I mean people talk, really diss science fiction if you're if you look through the year the um, the handbook uh, of agents and stuff the yearbook I can't remember what it's called half of the agents would say no science fiction but you know that's where Margaret Atwood lives. Yeah, exactly. That's where um, uh, Orwell lives. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's where there's. It's ridiculous to to. So I think it, I think it really works well when you do something like that. Well, we'll see. Hopefully, I'll I'll be more towards that end of the scale. Yeah. Uh, and less totally incoherent as it is now. Mm. <laughs> it's still in process of kind of coming together. Okay. So how how far along is it then? Well, I've written like four drafts, but I usually have to so you, write more. So you've got the full the full stories. I decided then. to rewrite it all and make it because um, a character emerged who I thought was interesting. So I decided to put the entire second half of the book about her. Okay. Uh, I gave the god killer a sister, who is the. Uh, 
not chosen one at all who is the one that's got a sense of humanity um, and is the island's confessor so she listens to all their not sins because they don't really have that concept but all their secrets and um, embarks on her own adventure to sort of work out what the truth is um, and hopefully and then comes together with her sister to defeat the great evil that sounds really reductive but that's the kind of idea wow we'll see have you ever read the book of Dave no by Will Self no I have not I think that's something that you would like actually and it's something that's recent because it's a fantasy world and you get an idea that it's kind of a post it's London post-apocalypse sort of Mm. but they kind of they worship these uh, well they don't worship they use these kind of weird half-human things as fuel like they they farm them Ooh. and yeah but there, there is kind of a I don't know why I got when you're describing it that I got the, this kind of book of Dave you know what it's just immediately making me think of Ian Banks mm-hmm. and yeah. Ian, Ian M. Banks as well yeah. maybe it's in that kind of school that kind of slightly off reality uh, strangeness right I'm going to read this bit now how much time we got we got we're fine 15 okay. minutes cool we're I'm just going to, and this is a random one, and there's there's several of these bits. The I'm going to say what it is again. What what she would spend her money on. And here come the uh, suitcases. An army of them. There's one. Is this a pre or post Theo one, I wonder? Oh, we'll see. Looks looks post Theo, if I'm that far into the book. Yeah, that probably is. I want a pre Theo one. They're better. <laughs> They're not better. They're just weirder. <laughs> There we go. What's your spending money? Okay. Oh, this is the good one as well. Um, she would get huge slabs of carcass from best beloved cattle, smooth marbled flesh. She would hang these in a specially prepared cellar and frighten herself with their bodies and pungency in the dark. She would buy up old china tea sets, the kind so thin, translucent, they seemed unwell, and she feared to hold them. She would return to candlelight and drink beef broth to stave all fevers. She would choose to be that kind of aristocrat, to live the austerities of another age. She would keep a collection of artisan knives and cut... Why did I laugh at that bit? That's not funny. And cut the cattle flesh for hanging on an antique clockwork roaster and that that would dangle and twist the carcass part of the flame. I think that's a very good uh, introduction to your writing. The other thing, I think, especially with that one, um, when you're talking about the big you know, carcass and stuff, that's spurred on because she's she's kind of starving at that mm-hmm. point, isn't she? Yeah. It, when you go on the Greyhound bus journey, um, you go through places that don't have any opportunities for hot meals, mm-hmm. and if you do it unbroken, as she does, there's no you, you just eat crisps for, yeah. for three days. Yeah. <laughs> so she's not got a huge amount of money either. Yeah, she doesn't. Yeah. Mm. Um, maybe enough to swing a happy meal or something. Yeah. They aren't there. They're just wrong side of the tracks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how do people eat? I don't know. It's, it's 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 a really strange situation when you're locked into that journey and you just you can't go anywhere. You only see for days and days like the poorest parts of every city that you're in, mm-hmm. and it's it's really an odd feeling. It kind of accumulates and makes you a bit weird. Mm-hmm. Like Sarah. What was the weirdest part of your own your you and your husband's own journey, other than almost getting robbed by that? Was, I'm assuming it was a woman, like yeah. it was in the book, yeah. Um, I think the gun smuggling bit yeah. was very, very strange. So we, how did, what did you see? Um, we pulled into, it was actually Columbus, Ohio. Um, and uh, 
it was really late at night, like midnight or one o'clock in the morning, and we all got off the bus. And then suddenly a police officer was coming through the station towards our bus and coming off of it, holding up a gun. And he looked... Well, like a machine gun or something? No, it was a... I think it was a rifle. Right, okay. And he was just looking really, really nervous. And then some other police officers came and they went towards this couple who I'd noticed getting on at Pittsburgh. And in Pittsburgh, there was a, an, a gun show going on. So they obviously got this gun there, put it on the bus. And mm. perhaps the driver had known about it the whole time and could only do something at the next big stop. I remember because the guy was wearing a Nightmare Before Christmas jacket. And I put that detail straight in the book there. Yeah. I'm sure he's not going to come after me for that. No. But it was very, you know, when you see an adult wearing a jacket like that, you're just yeah. like, that's interesting. <laughs> that guy's got issues. Yeah, and he did. He was like smuggling a gun on the bus. Um, and they got arrested and carried Was it on, on your bus? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we had no idea until we got off that that's what, what had happened. But the weird thing is, right, because guns are so legal. How do you know they're smuggling it? It's just not its just not his gun. It could be that you're not allowed to have it in the carriage of the bus. It has to be stowed away with permits or something like that. It's, maybe it's just a technicality, but it was terrifying to yeah. see. I don't understand that country. No. Uh, and I never will. And it's not it's a place that I could never feel comfortable. The idea that you could, if you go to a bar or something, and you have a, one too many, and you get in an argument with someone, you leave with your head blown off. Yeah, there. I, I mean, my mother-in-law lives in Alexandria, Virginia. Okay. Oh uh, my God, why? Virginia. Fuck oh, me. Northern Virginia. It's very. It's near Washington D.C. It's okay. basically a commuter town. It's right. really nice and pretty. Okay. Right. Um, anyway. That's my prejudice is coming out again. Lots of caveats yeah. here. Mm-hmm. No, it's a lovely place. Okay. Um, but on a, a imagine a restaurant and it looks like a nice seafood restaurant and it mm-hmm. says, you know, no open carry or conceal carry allowed on the door. They have to do that. It's it's bonkers. It's and bizarre. I mean, my home province is the hickest province in the Confederation by a country mile, <laughs> and I have many many friends back home whose Facebook pages are basically devoted to trying to bring conceal and carry into the into Canada. Ugh. And you think, can you not see like the, what happens down there? It's, it, I guess they just think it's cool or something. I don't know. I have no idea. It's very weird and it really upset me all the time that the, the discourse around it, you can't even raise the topic of it being wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was in high school when the Dunblane massacre happened. Mm-hmm. That's 40 miles down the road. I don't know if you know about it. I do, of course yeah. I do. Um, Andy Murray was at the school. Yes, he was. Mm. Yeah, and one of my brother's friends was. Gosh. And, um, and so I just remember that week of mourning. Like everyone was hysterically sad because we didn't think it happened in our country. And, mm-hmm. and just you couldn't even, I couldn't even say to people in America that, you know, maybe it's not right yes. at all. And, and this is, all, I carry it with me that this feeling of dread about guns. I think you can see it in the novel too. Mm-hmm. That, Definitely. Um, yeah, there's a bit of merging of character and mm-hmm. author there. Yep. Um, but it's just this weirdness about the US. It's just so distinctively, I don't want to say hostile, but it does feel hostile. Yeah. Like you have to defend your person. Yeah. You have to defend your territory. Yeah. Um, it's really, the, the reason it's so off putting is because at face value, everyone is so friendly. Mm-hmm. 
Like I would say, they're even. Everyone talks about how friendly Canadians are. Americans are way friendlier on on the surface. Oh, I should tell you. Um, when I got into Albuquerque, um, mm-hmm. actually, was it when I was leaving Albu- Albuquerque or by bus? I got chatting to this nice old man, yep. and he's. I told him about the guns, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I have lots of guns at home, and I have a semi-automatic weapon. I have a friend who can remove the semi-automatic part and make it fully automatic for me if I wanted. Yep. But I've never wanted to." Oh, so, you're such a hero, man. That's great. Yeah, real uh, humanitarian. <laughs> and, that, and you just look like anybody, you know? Yeah. I met a guy in Seattle. He might listen to this podcast. I don't know if I want to out him. <laughs> but he's this, like, this, the most, like, lefty guy by American standards. You know, he uh, lives on the coast. He's like, you know, like, surfer dude kind of fella. Uh, snowboards, you know. And then uh, he's, he, he has two guns at home. In Seattle, you just think, because you, you, in your mind you think, sure, in the South yeah. they have that sort of business, or in the Bible Belt. No, 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 no. It's, it's everywhere. 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 Absolutely everywhere. Everybody has a gun. It's it's unfathomable to me, and it's really terrifying. And it, yeah, I mean, I guess it sounds like we're making a huge deal of it, but you have to you live with that knowledge that anyone yeah. could just kill you dead in five seconds. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you know. I, Anyone can kill anyone dead in five seconds, but there's just something so unpleasant about the intent of a gun. Yeah. Well, there's nothing good. No. (laughs) What are you going to do, shoot a deer with your pistol? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Why don't you... I usually finish this by saying, talk about what you're writing now, but you've already talked about that. Yeah, sorry. Um, How should we finish it then? Hmm. Okay, this is a good way to stop. All right. Kirsty Logan um, described your book as said it's uh, a girl is a half-formed thing meets Lewin Davis. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. But She's read it, obviously. She, she has read it. Yeah. I, I would love it if the um, the Coen brothers called me up. That'd like, be good, wouldn't it? Like to make a movie out of your book, yeah. Mm. Um, I had a chat about this, whether it would make a good movie, with uh, Edie Stark when I was on the radio, which was wonderful. I'm sorry, mm. I'm like boasting about it. Um, <laughs> And she thought there would be too much voiceover, perhaps, because it's very interior. I mean, I think it might just be a slideshow with somebody talking over it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how they would do the bits where, you know, what she'd spend her money on. When I was writing it, I didn't want it to be like a a smooth narrative. Mm -hmm. And the thing about film is that it immediately becomes much smoother than most other mediums can be, I think. Um, And I, I think when people read it, I would love it if they read it really slowly. And they didn't treat it like something you could read in a four-hour chunk or two-hour chunk. Mm-hmm. Length of I think it's impossible. Uh, some people have done it. Wow. Uh, okay. And then uh, gone like, well, that wasn't very long. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's the joy of the internet and seeing all your reviews and stuff. But yeah, I, I would like the idea of fragmentation to go away with people and, yeah. and try and encourage people to do that kind of thing and yeah. get into the flash fiction-y side. Ah, right, yeah. If I could be a teacher of anything, it would be flash fiction and how to read them, which is really slowly, mm-hmm. and how to write them, which is quickly, and then write them over again a million times. Yeah. Uh, so not unlike a novel, really. That's true, yeah. yeah. Only on a one sheet of paper. Yeah. That's great. Thank you very much. Thank you.